What a privilege that we get to hear from God and his word. So today we're reading from Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God's word. Please be seated. All right. Good morning. Thank you, Sarah. And um, I heard a faint clap there. That's good. We can clap for God's word. And yes. And uh, as I explained, I won't do every week, but uh, last week's um, clapping, if we can get kind of odd about things like that, I'm like, oh, I don't want to clap for the wrong thing or the wrong person. Um, often it can be understood as a hand praise. We're giving God a hand praise. We're acknowledging his glory. And the same is true when I um, ask for an amen. That's a, a way of saying I'm tracking with you. We're, we're on the same page. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm following If you don't uh, agree or that's not true, you can just keep that to yourself for now. And then, uh, but if I if I ask for an amen, it's because we know where we're at, where we're headed, and uh, and that we're hearing from God's word. So, um, my name is Dave. Uh, I'm the I'm a pastor here at Redemption. Tucson, and I typically do the bulk of the preaching. And if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to give you a, a, a heads up that I have a speech impediment. It kind of comes in and out as we go. Um, I'm in good company, as we'll see today. But, uh, um, uh, but anyway, that's a little moan. No, just joke. Um, but uh, but but we'll get we'll get into it together. Uh, we've got a lot to cover th- this morning. We're covering three chapters that could three years could be spent on and um, we don't have that that time this morning so we're going to get into it I don't even have time to talk about football or anything like that thankfully this morning all right look out NAU it's it's coming but anyway um, if you have a bible go ahead and turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 2. We'll be in chapters 2, 3, and 4 this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, would you hold your hand up and keep it up and somebody will get you one. Okay, We want to make sure everyone has a Bible to follow along with. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, le canto su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Éxodo, um, capítulo 2 a 4. And again, if you don't own a Bible, please keep this, okay? It's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have a copy of God's Word to uh, follow along with, to learn from, to be shaped from, to be, as we talked about, Exodus will do both encouraged and implicated by, as we submit to and come under God's holy and perfect Word, 
And this is where we'll be, okay? In, in Exodus, as we're in this series in Exodus, is the big idea that we're looking at is that God is making himself known in a world where he has been so greatly forgotten. And that was true for them and good news to them. And that's true for us and good news for us this morning as well. And so this morning as we walk through it, where we'll see as, as God is making himself known, he's revealing that he is the attentive God. He is the revealing God and he is the purposeful God. So there's some, uh, some, some handlebars for you, if you will, to kind of make sense of as we walk through these chapters together. Let me go ahead and pray. Uh, as I said, I got a stutter and we got a ton to cover. So we need God's help. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do submit to you and we want to slow down and come before you right now. There's a lot going on in our lives as we got to hear in the All of Life interview from Sam about kind of for some of us that perhaps didn't go to school or, or that was a long time ago and just forget um, what, what transition can look like for anyone. Uh, they, we can be so caught up in all the needs of this world. And I was just talking to someone this morning about needing car repairs and stuff like that. And it can be easy to just kind of cruise in here real quick and then, and then leave. And, and Lord, right now we have a moment and opportunity for all of our life to be shaped by you. We're told that the grass withers, the flower fades. We talked about cars work and they don't work. Relationships are good and helpful and encouraging, and then they're not. And, and, and so much of our life is fleeting and unpredictable, and yet the word of our God endures forever. And so we pray and trust and ask that you will work by your spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's dive right into it. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took a wife, or took as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with hitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the r river bank. So if you weren't here last week or you're not fam familiar with where we're at in the story of Exodus, the last verse of chapter one talked about Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast it into the Nile, not just kind of place it there, but to, to, to kill that baby. And then he said, but let all the daughters live. And, and so where we're going to be this morning and also um, throughout this whole series, I want to encourage you, we can't cover every detail. There is so much here, rich and meaningful and purposeful and important. And so the way we're walking through it is we're going to seek to get some big ideas. Again, as God is making himself known, the idea is that we would know him a little bit more clearly, a little bit but better. And so that's the way we're walking through it. And even this morning here, there's so much. And I, I'm going to, again, we're going to kind of kind of zoom out big pictures and zoom in, zoom out, zoom in. And so that's how we're walking through it. So right now, what we need to understand is that this woman and this man, this husband and wife just got news that they had conceived and bore a son. And for some of us who have walked through infertility, 
fertility, which is part of our story, my wife and I, and others who've had difficulty in, 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 in conceiving and bearing children and, and the sadness and the brokenness that's there. Um, th in this case, this would be room for celebration, for rejoicing. But in this case, it's not. They did conceive a son. They did bear a son. But right away, fear sets in. They're, they're worried. I don't know what comes to mind for you. The first time I ever remember being excited about a little baby being born um, was actually not my, my own. So I'm from a big family. And one of my older brothers was having a baby when I was like 10 years old. And I was just so excited. I was going to be an uncle. Like that meant I'd be a man, right? I'd be like someone calls me uncle, even though I'm only 10 years old. And I remember still where I was. I was at the YMCA playing basketball. This is before cell phones and even pagers and all that. Some, and, and I was talking to my mom on the, on the payphone. Some of you don't even know anything about that, right? <laughs> and I got this news, this good news that my niece had been born. Um, my niece is the same age as Stephen, who leads worship, almost like by the day. So I could have changed your diaper, Stephen. Um, but <laughs> we'll keep moving. No one needs an image there. So, so I was excited, though. And we couldn't pass this information around quick enough. My older brother and, and his wife now had a baby and it was exciting. Well, that could not be further than what was happening here. When she finally gave birth, she had to hide this for three months. And even that like, is, would be hard, right? Difficult, like a baby's crying or all this stuff. I don't know how this happened, but she somehow, uh, father and mother hid their child, and it was scary. And then they put this baby in a r river, but um, in such a way in a basket. And imagine what was going on there. There was a sense of desperation, of needing to have faith that God would be who he says he is. And just to, to acknowledge here, most likely numerous Hebrew children had not survived. Perhaps even the same thing had happened, it had been put into a river and maybe found and then killed. So this would be a very scary thing. And yet this mother puts her child in a basket, in a river, and just kind of steps back and trusts God. One um, theologian and commentator, Arthur Pink, um, says this, Little shout out, I got an Arthur Pink book from a friend here. And as I was reading through it, he says this incredibly helpful thing about what was going on here. Much of a sentimental nature has been written on these verses. Commentators have reasoned that it was mother love and the beauty of the child which caused Jochebed to act as she did. But this would not stand the test of holy writ. Scripture informs us that it was neither affection nor infatuation, but faith, which was the mainspring of action. Hebrews 11.23, that's in the New Testament, says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
right? They show, and even that, there's so much imagery I want to go into that the fact that they saw that Mo Moses was good is imagery from Genesis when God created and saw that it was good. That, that by faith, these, these parents, by God's intervention, saw this child and said, we need to try to preserve this child. And he, as he says, it wasn't just, oh, they, and I even love that he says that, that, the, that the baby was like, that looked good, like, well, this baby's ugly, right? This one's not like, that. It's, and we can just think silly things. No, it was the fact that God was at work and that God opened their eyes to see that he, that he had a plan, that he would work in this child's life. And so by faith, they, 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 they trusted God. Just pause for a moment and enter in. Can you imagine having to trust God with something like this? And yet God works in crazy and profound ways. In, this, in the next v v verses, we see some things at work here where where the fact that his sister, who's a Hebrew woman, Moses' sister is hiding out and she sees what, what's going on here when, when Pharaoh, the king, the mo one of the most powerful people in the entire world, his daughter is going to bathe in the river and she finds the baby. And of course you would think, oh no, she's right. The Pharaoh's daughter, she's going to kill this baby, but she doesn't. What she does is she takes it and, and she has compassion. And then the sister, again, a Hebrew girl goes up and addresses Pharaoh's daughter, which that in itself could have led to her being put to death. Right? And we would just miss that if we just read through. But she, by faith, approached Pharaoh's daughter and then throws out an idea. Hey, do you want me to go find a Hebrew wet nurse, as they're referred to, right? Uh, some, a Hebrew um, maiden to go and, and to nurse this child. And in God's incredible providence, what happens? Well, Moses' own mother, now, who had faith, right, now gets to nurse her child. And, and then she, the, the child grows up and grows, and then she has to be, he has to be handed back off and grows up in Pharaoh's household. And just imagine here, there's, there's, there's goodness and there's tragedy, there's sadness, and it's all going on hand in hand. And as we walk through this whole thing, we see that God is attentive. Now, again, something that we cannot miss here that we talked about some last week, that, that, that God had been working. And the last time that his people heard that God was working had been 400 years. So even God's people, the Israelites, forgot about God. They forgot who he is. They forgot his character. They forgot his works. And we can take that for granted, but pause for a moment and try to remember what happened 400 years ago. Okay, so some of you may be uh, uh, aware and kind of you've read different things and heard different things that almost exactly to this day, this month, 400 years ago in the U.S., the very first um, African family was brought to the U.S. from Angola. Cola, kind of by accident, brought to what's now Virginia, it's now Hampton, Virginia, was, was, was brought, this, that three slaves ended up um, landing, and then that started, right, hundreds of years of slave trade and, and horrible, a horrible reality of our nation's history. That's 400 years ago this month. Some of us, it's like, oh, that's so, that's so out of sight, out of mind, that's so back there, all this stuff, right? And we, like, imagine 400 years. That's such a long time. We, we again, I'm ashamed to say I didn't know that until a couple weeks ago, until across my new news feed, some stories came and I started to learn and, 
and thankfully remember. Well, in the same way, God's people have forgotten. They don't know who he is. They don't know their own history. They're just slugging it out. They're, in the, they're right now in the here and the now going with what's going right again. Some of us are so caught up on last night's football game, right? We don't even, we don't know our, our own stories, our family history, where we're from, our own lives. We just so quickly forget. And yet God is attentive. He's working. And the, the good news that we need to hear on a corporate level and on an individual level, hear me now is God is at work very often long before we realize it. God is working in incredible, profound ways. He's attentive. He's aware. And we, and some of us are struggling right now. We're in pain. We're in, we're in heartache. We're in so, and this is understandable. We're so caught up in the moment right now. But what we see from this is God is attentive. He sees he hears. He knows. In fact, skipping ahead to the last part of this chapter as we learn more about the attentiveness of our God. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, it says this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. Again, many days when it would be easy to just forget. This whole time, an entire lifespan, Moses is growing up. And then he goes out and all this other stuff happens. It's important for us to understand. He, he, he actually has to flee. And we now know about 40 years went by, many years. And yet God remains attentive. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. His promises from so long ago, God remembered. He remained attentive. He saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God hears, he sees, he knows. And that is good news. And then we see that God reveals himself, often in very unexpected, mysterious ways, so God is attentive. He's the attentive God. And God is the revealing God. So now pick up in the story here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as we see God revealing himself. And I want to pause and even acknowledge here this morning, I'm sure that many of us are here. Perhaps you're students. Perhaps you're new students. Perhaps you, you went to church a long time ago and you found yourself here. Maybe a neighbor or a coworker invited you. Maybe... As I'll even share in a moment, someone found our church by Google searching something. God is a pursuing God. He reveals himself. And I pray that as we see him revealing himself to Israel, that we would, even this morning, recognize God revealing himself to us. So pick up in chapter 3 as we continue in the story. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And he's saying, this bush is on fire. No, just kidding. Sorry. Little Alicia Keys nod. Um, right? He looks, and, but it's crazy, right? This bush is on. Sorry, dad joke. I didn't even plan that. I, I normally let my wife 
or asked my wife to edit my sermons, and that one, that one, that one got through. Okay, blame me, not her. Okay, but he, he looks here, and this bush is on fire, and it's not consumed. That's a big deal, right? That's, that's, that's unnatural. Usually a bush that's on fire just, right, is all gone after a couple minutes. Well, that's not the case here. And so he pauses, and he said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to, to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Right, right now, we, have a, we could spend so much time in this, okay? But we have a little bit of time, but we need to acknowledge something here. God is holy. God is great. All right, the God who created everything. Imagine, right, we have beautiful sunsets here. Imagine the beautiful sunsets and see God creating that. Whatever is awe-inspiring for you. If, you, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon or, or you've ever been somewhere that you get a, an idea of, of bigness, right? I, I grew up for a while in San Diego and you only have to go sometimes a few feet off the shore and you're in the ocean and you are aware of just how small you are. And some of you, yeah, I know, maybe me more so than others, but maybe some of you have to go out a couple more feet and then you realize how small you are, right? Like a shark, something grazes your ankle or whatever and you're all of a sudden aware like, wow, I'm, I'm outside of my comfort zone right now. And imagine all of that, whatever, whatever kind of puts you in check and reminds you of just how small you are. That's, that's what Moses now has this, this, his eyes are open to the bigness, the holiness of God. God says, Moses, check yourself. Take off your feet. I know where your sandals have been. Okay, like you're on holy ground. Holy means set apart. And, and I'm up here and like, right, I got my, sh my shirt untucked. We say we take God seriously, but no, not ourselves. We can have all these phrases that just kind of roll off our tongues. And some of us maybe grew up in different churches, different church traditions where you, you, you dress up more, right? Different religions like Islam, you have to wash your hands up to your elbows and then your feet up to your knees typically. And you take off your shoes and all these different things. And it's this understanding of, God, of, of God's reverence and awe. And then some people say, oh, like, that's too legalistic, right? We're, we're Christians. We don't agree with that. We don't believe that. No, no, no. Hear me now. We absolutely must have an awe-inspiring. We too, like Moses, should have a posture of hiding ourselves, of saying, wow, God, I, I, I am, I am, I am a, like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips and from a people who, who are sinful. I was born in sin. I, I, I am separated from you. I have chosen to go my own way. I have rebelled against a holy and righteous God. Let us not take God for granted because we can be comfortable in here and sip on coffee and, and have flip-flops. Okay, we know, fast forward to Hebrews in the New Testament, that we are told that we have access to God, that we can run before God. It says this in um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. The throne of grace. Because of the access we have been given through Jesus, our mediator. 
We can take God's holiness for granted. We can bring him down to our level. We can say, Jesus is my homeboy. It's not that God is any less holy and righteous and set apart, but that his grace accomplished, revealed through Jesus is that amazing that we can now come before him as children, as daughters and sons, have a childlike faith, not because he's any less holy, but because his great is that much greater. Amen? And then as we continue on here now, we see, and pick up with me in verse 8, God's grace is only available even to Moses because, verse 8, God says, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Even here, the message all throughout the Bible, hear me now, is God is an initiating God. God is a revealing God. Going back to the very beginning, right? When sin entered in, in Genesis chapter three, what happens? Man and woman hide themselves. They're ashamed. They're ashamed of, of now who they are. They hide themselves from each other. They hide themselves from God. And what happens? God is walking. And who takes the initiative? God says, Adam, where are you? He pursues then he brings restoration. He makes a promise. Similarly, in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, we, are, we mankind, are about to um, once and for all try to find a way to God apart from God, right? And I could get in all this, but it's known as the Tower of Babel, and they start to build um, apart from God. They're not depending on God in there, and God says, this is not good. They're going to they're gonna separate themselves from me forever. So God Genesis 11 verse 5, God comes down and breaks up, right? It looks like it's severe judgment, but it's his severe grace. God initiates. And then similarly here, as we just saw in verse 8, God comes down. He initiates. He pursues his people. He pursues Moses. And then picking up in verse 9 here, I'll read verse 9 through 12. And now behold, the cry of the people has come up to me. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you. He's talking to Moses. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses, verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Right? Pause there for a moment. Moses is right in saying that. Okay, historians, commentators, theologians, even some of us perhaps, we, we, we look at this and, and we pull back and we say, oh, it's God needed Moses or God was very lucky to have someone like Moses who happened to be a Hebrew but just grew up in the, in the, in the, in the Egyptian court and had all this power and, and, and privilege. And right, we could get into dismantling that if we, we need. We could see where, no, Moses wasn't that high up if he had to flee after going back, something I had to skip over for sake of time, but he killed an Egyptian protecting one of his Hebrew brothers. And once it became known, he had to flee because he was worried for his life. And the Pharaoh said, you know, so if you ever saw that D Disney movie about, uh, what, what's it even called? The Prince of Egypt. And it paints this picture that's really unbiblical. All right. F the, the Pharaoh probably didn't even know about M M M Moses. 
Okay, there's all kinds of history there that they had huge households and he was probably just some little snot-nosed person r- trying to stay out of the way. Cause he, and this time he gets caught, he, he kills an Egyptian and he has to flee. So Moses is right in saying, God, who am I? And we'll learn in a moment. He's like, I'm slow of speech. Like, who am I? But notice here what God says to him. What is God's answer? Not, oh no, Moses, don't talk, don't talk about yourself like that, buddy. Like, you're, you got a lot to offer. No. <laughs> Verse 12, what God says is, but I will be with you. Emmanuel, Jesus reveals himself, God with us. God's good news is he reveals himself always. It's not, no, 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 don't, don't think about yourself that way. It's, hey, I am with you. That's his message. In verse 12, he says, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And I'll just say, we'll find out in a couple weeks, this comes true. A lot happens on this very mountain referred to and known as the, as the mountain of God. It's also known as Mount Sinai. The area it's in is the region of Horeb. So it's referred to as those three things. It's the same place, the mountain of God, the same place where God will give his law, will define his covenant about how his people will relate with him. He will continue to reveal himself. <clears throat> but now pick up with me in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Okay, Moses is like, yeah, but. So this is what is happening, right? Moses, verse 11, rightly is like, who am I? And God doesn't answer him. He's like, right, you're right. Who are you, right? You're not special, but God's answer is, I'm with you. And then Moses' retort is, well, who are you? Right? When he says, what's your name? Who shall I say sent me to you? God, God, Moses isn't just saying, God, what's your name? Like, you know, Jim, Bob, you know, like I need to give a name. He's, a name is an identity, a character. Well, who are you, right? It's like if someone says, I'm going to go tell my dad on you. I'm going to go tell my mom on you. Someone's like, well, who's your mom? They're not saying like, what's her name? Right? They're like, well, what's your mom going to do? And if it's at school and someone's like, well, my mom's the principal, right? that changes things. So when Mo- Moses says, what's your name? He's not just wanting uh, something to write down on a piece of paper, something to fill a couple of theology books with. Look at God's answer. He says in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then God also said to the, said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the Lord of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. I am. All right, we need to pause here for a moment. This is huge. Even Sarah, when she was going to read the scripture this morning, she wrote an email and said, what an honor, what a privilege to get to read the name of God to our congregation. Let's pause here for a moment. As God is revealing himself, what is he saying? Yes, the Hebrew, the the four consonants, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, 
right? If you're a Monty Python fan, you've seen where this guy keeps getting like stoned for saying this. And there's, we in some, and, and if you have friends who are Jewish and even in English, they'll write G slash D and, and people don't fully write out the name of God. And there's this understanding of this is holy. And we need to understand that too. There's something significant here as God revealed his name in verse 14, right? I am who I am. Well, what does that mean? What is God saying here? Some things as God is revealing about himself are a couple things that are true. Some attributes of his name. Okay, it's been understood as God is saying, I am who I am. Or I am as I say I am. I, I am is revealing some attributes of God. One is that God is self-existent. Okay, this is true. God has no beginning. That as you trace God's origin back, you'll never find his beginning. He's self-existent. And then something else with that is God is the creator and sustainer of all things. Those of us who kind of nerd out and like philosophy or things like that, that God is sustaining all things. This is Aquinas' second way. Sorry for that, but it's just, I think it's mind-blowing that this was one of the big aha moments, even here at the U of A in the philosophy department where I got to study and learn um, that, that God's sustaining all things is, is, is profound and problematic. Okay, that God didn't just roll the dice and get things going, but the very fact, even scientifically, that things don't just collapse in on, them, on themselves on a molecular and on a macro, on a small and a big level. That's, that's incredible. That's mind-blowing. That's found in this name. I am who I am. I am as I say I am. God is immutable. Okay, that word means unchangeable. I am who I am. I don't change by cultural pressure. I don't change by how you interact with me and relate with me. I am as I am. I am who I say I am. God is eternal. All those things are important. We could go on more and more, but let me say this. What we just did, we could all write down on a piece of paper. We could even begin to operate as we put God in a box. Oh, I understand God. I know his name. I know his attributes. But in God intentionally, as he reveals himself, leaves some ambiguity. Okay, let me explain that more. Part of his revealing right here goes back to, remember what I just told you in verse 12. I'm with you. Wait, God, no, no. Who are you? What's your name? Let me write down all these attributes about you. Hey, you're not going to understand it all right now. Your mind's not big enough. All right, I could reveal everything about myself, but don't forget, I am who I am. I am who I just told you I am, the one who is with you. And then something else that Exodus is, is pregnant with, anticipation. Yeah, but God, what about this? What about that? What about that? Well, keep reading. All throughout Exodus, God is revealing himself to his people, to you and me, his audience. God is revealing who he is by what he does. Okay, God's, God's nature, his attributes are revealed by how he relates with his people in historical context, in relational context. God reveals himself. And so he intentionally does not just put his name in such a way that we can put him in a little box. John Calvin gives an incredibly helpful definition of God, of, of, of the name Yahweh. He says this, Yahweh is the one with whom you have to do. 
or, or, or more, uh, more understandably for us, Yahweh is the one with whom you have to interact. The one true God th- who, before whom you actually have to give an account. That's Yahweh. That's God. The real God. Not just one that fits on a piece of paper, but the one that you and I relate with, interact with. And God reveals himself. And God reveals himself as a purposeful God. And we'll make some more sense of that as we now continue on to pick up in chapter 4. And I want to keep going here and diving through. Just let me just say this. That chapter 4, the first nine verses of chapter 4, as God reveals his purpose, there is so much intentionality. Real quick, a couple seconds. For example, as I'm not going to walk through the whole interaction where Moses throws down a staff and God tells him to throw down your staff, you know, like a big piece of wood, like a staff, not like your underlings, you know, whatever. Okay, so anyway, God throws down the staff and then it turns into a serpent and God says, pick up the staff. And even that there's incredibly funny stuff. Like, did he just reach out and grab it or did he have to like chase a snake around and what's going on here? Well, even that the use of the imagery of snake is, is a reminder of the gospel. All right. The pro-euangelion as it's understood from Genesis chapter 3 when sin is entered into the world and God makes a and God's giving out the curses and he gives a glimpse to what he would do through the person and work of Jesus when he says to the serpent that he would raise up one whose heel would be bruised but would ultimately crush the head of the serpent that that kind of imagery is is full here in Exodus chapter 4 And so God is purposeful. But then pick up with me now in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made your mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing? Or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Again, pa- go back for a moment, right? M- Moses is like, well, who am I? And, and, and again, here in this interaction, God even gets like mad at Moses for once because Moses is continuing. Hear me now, look at me. Moses is continually questioning God and his character and his trustworthiness. So when he asked right now, it, it, there's a sense where you and I can relate, but ultimately what's happening here is Moses is questioning God. And what's God's answer? Not, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you, right? For those of us old enough to have watched SNL and know, you know, Stuart Smalley and his daily affirmations, and okay, that's easy out there. So even though, right, some of our parenting, let's just be honest, is straight up lying to our kids, I know my own kids are in here right now. Some of our youth are in here, right? And what do some of us tell our kids about what they can be when they grow up? Anything. That's a lie, right? (laughs) You're lying to your kids, all right? I'm sorry. I need to be more comfortable telling my kid, like, you're not going to play for the NBA. Like, it's just real, right? Your mom's five foot two. I'm five foot six on my driver's license, probably even less than that. Um, (laughs) Maybe, you know, like, I've got no skills. You haven't ever Play, like, it's just not going to happen. All right? And we try to hide ourselves from this. We try, and what we, we try to, like, this, the Bible could not be more different than a Tony Evans self-help seminar. Yet we so often, we're not comfortable with the Bible. Because, like Moses, we're not comfortable with who God is. We're not comfortable with finding ourselves 
in light of who God is and who he says he is. Hear me, and from there, who he says we are in him. What does God say to Moses? Not, no, buddy, you got to stutter. No one's going to laugh at you. Trust me, they probably will. And, and they probably, you're probably going to get a wedgie. And, you're gonna, and as we know throughout Exodus, there's no biblical wedgies in Exodus. But Moses gets hated on, right? People throw shade at him. They distrust him. They question God because of Moses and his weakness. And we know throughout all of Scripture, um, the, the good news is not, no, you're good enough. You're smart enough. People are going to like you. Just believe in yourself. It's no. God will make his strength known through our weakness. Moses, David, Abraham, all throughout. The exception is when God uses someone that is kind of easy, an, an easy candidate in Scripture. More and more often, God reveals his power and his, and his, and his purpose through broken vessels, through weakness, I often share that here. Our, our hope in prayer is that you will never be impressed by those of us on the stage and that we would hide our weakness so much that we would keep us elevated. Instead from there, as is, is, is Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my message and my speech were not with persuasive words of wisdom or of eloquence. Okay, but I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And that's what we see here on display in God's interaction of revealing himself and calling Moses to be a part of his purposes. And it would be unloving, unpastoral of me to not at least mention. So look real quick here with me as we kind of land the plane here in Exodus chapter four, because I know some of you, if I don't hit on this, this is all you'll focus on. And I'll deal with it super quickly. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21 and 22. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. And we'll get into this in the weeks to come. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Real quick. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Oh no, what does that mean? God's, you know, yes, we're reformed. We've just used this language a couple weeks ago. Spent a whole long time on it. There's a blog written, there's a sermon. I don't want to be dismissive, but we believe in God's sovereignty and God's power and his bigness. The language here in hardening heart is like strengthening an existing structure. Okay, and it's this. Yes, God is intentional. He's purposeful. He's active here in hardening Pharaoh's heart. But we often look at it through such unrealistic, self-centered lenses. The reality of scripture is all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. We are all naturally, by nature and by choice, enemies of God. And yet we come to a verse like this and say, God's so mean. Like, Pharaoh's probably a really nice guy and he, you know, snuggles with sheep and, you know, helps old ladies cross the road. And he's just a really good guy. And God just had to get in his way and harden his heart. Like, God's so mean. No, what God does is he further strengthens what's already there. A hardened heart, rebellious toward God, that God further hardens in order to reveal his glory and his power. Okay, and we will see that. Hear me, trust me, as we walk through Exodus, we will see God revealing himself and his purposes on display. 
but, but I know it would be unloving to not dive into that for a moment. But also, verse 22, God says, you shall say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. But as we've talked about all throughout this morning, Exodus points so clearly to the absolute necessity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? God the Son. Why was it absolutely necessary that he come? Because as we'll learn, Israel is an unfaithful son. Israel is wayward, is rebellious. Israel will time and time again fail to be faithful, to trust God, to honor God, to submit to God, to find their identity and their purpose from their relationship with God. And so it is absolutely necessary that God would see our brokenness, our pain, and would send Jesus, his only son, about whom it is said in Mark chapter 1, God says to Jesus, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. In Mark chapter 9 at the transfiguration, Jesus would say about, or God the Father would say about Jesus, this is my beloved son, my perfect son. Listen to him. In John chapter 10, Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. Jesus would say in John chapter 14, you don't know the Father because you don't know me. I and the Father are one. Jesus would say in John chapter 8, verse 58, and people would want to kill him for it. He would say the very name of God that we learned today. Jesus would say, before Abraham as, Abraham's not my daddy, all right? Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus would use the very name of God about himself. Okay, Jesus is the one who hung on the cross and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he put himself in your and my place. Because Jesus was rejected as God's perfect only true son so that you and I could be accepted as daughters and sons of God most high. So we could be reconciled. Jesus, who lay dead in the tomb, the father raised him from the dead through the spirit. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He sits on the throne right now. Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to me and I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus sits on the throne right now and is declaring as he sits next to the right hand of God the Father, Jesus the perfect son says, behold, I am making all things new. We understand God is an attentive God, a revealing God, and a purposeful God most clearly through the person and work of Jesus. So now let's pray and respond to him. Again, Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are consistent. Even the way this chapter, chapter 4, ends with Israel worshiping you and believing in you, but then next week we'll see that doesn't last very long. Perhaps some of us even in our own lives have had mountaintop highs where we boldly declared arrogantly, I will never X, Y, or Z. And then a week later, a moment later, whatever we promised in our own strength wouldn't happen, happens again. Lord, I pray that all of us here would be both implicated and comforted by the good news that our faith rests in you, in your reliability, in your consistency, and you revealing yourself and us responding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.